Well, good morning. How are we today? Good? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Eat entirely too much food, right? Like so much, you have to unbutton that top button, you know what I mean, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I had a fantastic Thanksgiving. The Covingtons went down south a little bit, spent a lot of time with family. Like I said, ate way too much food, and I hope that your Thanksgiving was full of crazy blessings, and I hope it was a blessed one. Uh, well, if you look around, and Pierce already mentioned it, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and I absolutely love it. I am an early adopter for sure. Uh, now, you may be one of those, hey, don't speak to me about Christmas until after Thanksgiving holiday. Well, it's legal now, right? We can talk about Christmas. So anybody want to just admit, hey, I, don't talk to me about Christmas till after Thanksgiving. Anybody like that in the room? All right, we call you the ball humbug people, all right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're going to pray seriously for your salvation this morning, that you would, that you would see the light. Uh, but man, I am an early adopter. Uh, let's hang the Christmas, let's start the Christmas music in September. Let's hang the garland. Let's pass out the apple cider, let's wrap the lights on the tree and get out the presents. I love everything about this season. I love Three Trees, I love Wonderland, I love how you as a church serve. It is amazing. And, and next week, we are really gonna be full force into our Christmas season here at the Heights as we are gonna start our Christmas series next week called Great Joy. Uh, but this morning, we're gonna finish our sermon series on the Pharisees, just simply called Breaking Free. Um, and, and in the last several weeks, we've looked at several multiple Pharisees in the scripture. We've looked at their specific interactions with Jesus, and we have discovered through these teachings that there are many things that Jesus calls all of us to break free from. And today, specifically, we are going to look at the interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Now, a lot of times in the text, when we looked at the study of the Pharisees, we didn't necessarily know the names of a lot of the Pharisees, but we do today. And we are studying Nicodemus today, and Nicodemus is one of the most, if not the most prominent of all the Pharisees. And today, we're going to look at this idea of breaking free from old self. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. We're actually going to follow Nicodemus's interactions with Jesus in three separate times in the book of John. But our main text is the book of, uh, of, of chapter 3 of the book of John. And I want to read that with you. We're not going to read the whole chapter but we are gonna read the first 16 verses. And so to honor God's word, I'm gonna ask, will you just stand as we read this together? Uh, it's a lengthy passage, so I will just read it, uh, but you please follow along with me. And this is what the scripture says uh, in the first 16 verses of the Gospel of John. Starting in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a, nan, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, unless God, uh, of God unless they are born again. 
How can someone be born when they are not old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at, me, at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You, should, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, we all know this verse, so let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you so much for honoring God's word. You may be seated. So... Years ago, uh, my youngest son, Crockett, played in a flag football league, right? And uh, he had a great season. I mean, my son, Crockett, loves to do anything athletic. He's one of the most active boys I know. Um, bounces all over the walls and all over the floors and all the things, right? And so uh, at the end of the season, it was a great season. At the end of the season, we had the obligatory, celebratory parent-kid flag football game, Right? Some of you parents have been a part of those, right? And so, uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, and it may come as a surprise to some of you, but I'm, I'm not currently at my playing weight, all right? <laughs> not, not, not quite there. And even when I was at my playing weight, I was never really gifted with this thing called speed, right? Uh, but what I was gifted with was this incredible competitive nature, right? I'll compete with you about anything. I'll probably lose, but I'll compete with you about anything, all right? So I wasn't about to let some eight, nine, 10-year-old boys show me up at all. No, I was, I was ready to go, right? And so it came time for the game and being the servant-minded self that I am, I let all the other parents have their turn first, right? So I sat on the sidelines and I cheered on my kid and I cheered on my wife and all the other parents. And then it was time for me to come into the game. And so here I am, I come in, first play, I'm on defense. Now mind you, not one minute of preparation had gone into me playing that one stretch, not one run in the afternoon, nothing, right? But I didn't need that. They were eight, nine, 10 years old, right? And I was about to put it on them, right? And so I'm there, the ball's height, the little kid gets the ball and runs my direction. And I look around and I am the only adult close to that kid, right? And so I'm thinking, it's on, like this is my chance, right? And I take off after him, but little did I know I think I was chasing the fastest eight, nine, 10 year old in the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I cannot believe how 
fast this kid was, right? And so as I was pursuing him, I had this split, split second thought, I gotta, I gotta kick it up a notch, right? I can't be embarrassed. I gotta, I gotta get this in high gear. And so I turned it on, I dug deep and I accelerated. And as soon as I did, I felt this searing pain up and down my left leg. And I pulled up and I grabbed it like this. And I was like, I am stuck. Like, I can't move. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I looked over at my wife and she's already laughing at me, right? This is like perfect theater for her. And, uh, and I said, you gotta play. I, I can't play anymore. And mind you, one play, one play. And so I kind of hobble off the field and I, could, I was in pain for weeks. And I was doing just fine. And then just in a moment, I was stuck dead in my tracks. And I wanna ask you a question this morning. Do you ever feel stuck? No, I'm not talking about chasing a nine-year-old pull up with a hammy kind of stuck, right? But I'm talking about spiritually stuck. Like, like do you ever feel that, that your relationship with Christ just is stagnant, that it's just not going anywhere? Like, it just feels stale? And maybe for you, it just feels normal, but it's certainly not progressing. Now, now, you may say uh, you are absolutely 100% secure in your salvation. Like you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and that you are God's child. And that's great. Salvation is key. Salvation is first. It's crucial. In fact, if you are here this morning and you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't know if you've experienced salvation, we want to have that conversation with you first and foremost, in that next step room as soon as the service is over. But there are some of you that are here that have experienced that, but you still say, I just feel like my relationship is kind of blah with Christ. And what I want you to understand, salvation, your salvation, it's not a destination. It's not an ending. It is a gateway. It is a door to the kingdom of heaven. Look, look, in, look in John 3 in our, in our passage this morning, in verse 3, it says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom, experience, think, experience the kingdom unless they are born again. That is the ticket. That gets you into the kingdom. But I feel like probably what's happening for a lot of us is we experience this salvation and we're ushered, we open the door and we step into this incredible kingdom and we look around and we're like, this is perfect pretty awesome, and then we just stay in the entryway. Like, we don't experience the Christian life and a relationship with Christ at the fullest. Instead, we settle, and we stay stuck, and we don't move from the doorpost. And that's not what God wants for us. What, what I want you to understand this morning is, please, don't settle on salvation when Jesus is the prize, the American church is full of people who settle on salvation and miss the ongoing kingdom-minded, life-giving life that Jesus offers. And you know what the tragedy is? I think there's probably a lot of us that are stuck in our relationship with Christ and we don't realize it. We don't know it. We, we don't see it. We're blind to it. Like we get up and 
we come to church and it's normal and we go home and we live our life like it's normal and we get up and we come to church and it's normal and we'll pray at meals sometimes with our families when we remember it and everything seems to be good. But you may be absolutely just stuck in your relationship with Christ and you may not even know it. So the question is, how do you know if you're stuck? Like how, how do you know if, and how, is Richard talking about me? Like how do, how do I know if that's me? I wanna, I wanna give you three things to consider. And I want you to honestly answer them about yourself, right? Some ways that you may know you're stuck. You, you, you may be stuck if you have no desire to spend time with God. Now, for you, it may not be a, a, a bad thing that you oh, don't wanna spend time with God. It's just that you don't think about it, right? It's not, it's not top of mind. Like you would say you love Jesus and you would say you love to pray, but, but the problem is you never pray outside of maybe the courtesy meal. And you say you love God's word and you believe what it says, but you never read it. You never absorb it. You never apply it to your life. And, and so if you're here and you're like, man, Maybe I just, maybe I don't have a desire to spend time with God because if I look at my life, I'm really not doing that. Well, you may be stuck in your spiritual relationship with the Lord. You may be spiritually stuck in your relationship with God if the time that you do spend with him is not as meaningful as it once was. There may be a time that you can look back on that your relationship with the Lord burned brightly. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe it was a camp that you were a part of. Maybe it's when you were actually uh, teaching a class or maybe it was when that you were a part of a class uh, and, and maybe it was a time around your salvation. But you can look back and you can say, oh, back then my relationship with Christ was vibrant and strong, but now it's just weak and lifeless. If that is you, then you may be spiritually stuck. And you also may be spiritually stuck if you are discouraged about your faith. And for you, it may not even be um, uh, something that you struggle with. It may be something that I just absolutely struggle in my relationship with, my, with God. I have questions about who Jesus is. I have questions about my faith. Perhaps you question your purpose or you wonder if any of it is even real. And so if any of those three things are true about you, you may be spiritually stuck and this morning is specifically for you. You may have salvation, just be stuck in the doorway. But today, there's gonna be an invitation for you to get out of the doorway and to experience what the kingdom of heaven, a relationship with Jesus is all about. And we're gonna see some interactions with Nicodemus and Nicodemus pursued Jesus and he definitely pursued him. And there are some things that we can learn about his interactions with Jesus. And we'll look at three of these in the book of John. And, and there are some things, that, some lessons that Nicodemus teaches us that can help us become unstuck and break free finally from our old self because it's entirely possible to have salvation but still be living in our old self. See, in that doorway with one step in the kingdom and one step out of the kingdom and allowing our old self to influence what we now are a child of God. 
And so there are some lessons that we can learn from Nicodemus. I'm gonna tell you these lessons and then we're gonna look at them one at a time. And these are some lessons that Nicodemus learned with Jesus. Number one, your past does not define you. Number two, embrace your line in the sand moments. And number three, be generous with your gifts. We're gonna look at all three of those this morning, but we're gonna start with the first, your past does not define you. And so in doing that, let's dig into the scripture today and we look in verse one and it says, now there was a Pharisee. Let's just stop right there. This whole sermon series has been about Pharisees. So let's just reset a little bit for a moment and remember who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees, the word actually means separated one. The Pharisees, no doubt, separated themselves from the culture and from the people of that day. They were elite, they were over the culture, if you will. Pharisees were a religious sect. They believed the scripture of the Old Testament 100%, but they also had this unbelievable, this extremely high belief on oral tradition that actually superseded the scriptures of the Old Testament. The Pharisees were a political group and they oftentimes sought to carry out their own political agenda uh, in the culture around and they were also a social movement. They used their religious beliefs and their political influence to regulate the community around them. See, Being a Pharisee was about authority and control. They used their power and their influence to control everyone around them. All this to say they were extremely steeped into this tradition and their tradition uh, taught that, that, that they learned superseded all the teachings of Jesus. Their tradition was everything to them. They believed in an afterlife, but it was workspace. It was not grace-filled. And Jesus had several issues with the Pharisees. And a few of the issues that he had with them, he had an issue that they put their hope in themselves rather than God's grace. He had an issue that they focused on rules rather than relationships. And he had an issue that they were pious, they were elitist, they thought they were better than everyone else. Rather than putting the needs and humbly serving other people. And I wanna ask you this morning, if you were to really do an introspective look at your own self, would Jesus have any of these issues with you today? the issues that he had with the Pharisees, would any of those be true of you this morning? Well, let's continue. We look in verse two, it says that he was, Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now the Jewish ruling council, this was uh, the supreme court of ancient Israel. It was about 70 members strong, um, and Nicodemus belonged to this group. And in fact, in verse 10, just a few verses down, Jesus said, or Jesus called Nicodemus Israel's teacher. So not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was a member of the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And not only that, he was known as Israel's teacher. This Nicodemus is the elite of the elite. Nicodemus climbed the culture of success in that day and he won. 
he arrived. If anyone was set in their ways, it was Nicodemus. He had life completely figured out. He was known. He had status. He had power. He had authority. He had all the things that many of us spent all of our time and resources chasing. But those things were not enough to satisfy, to satisfy Nicodemus. They weren't. They were empty. They didn't satisfy him. And you know what? They won't satisfy you either. And Nicodemus, he was done. He was desperate. And so what he did is he sought Jesus at night. Why? Why do you think that he went to Jesus at night? Was was it because he was afraid to be seen with Jesus? Was it because he was concerned about what the other Pharisees would think? Perhaps it was just the best time that he could get Jesus alone to have a one-on-one conversation because so many people uh, wanted to be near and talk to Jesus. Well, you know, we really don't know. Perhaps it was a bit of all of that. But what we do know is that this beautiful conversation happened at night between a man who had a lot of questions and another man who had all the answers. And we don't have time this morning to fully dive into the entire conversation. It's rich and I would encourage you to study it. Uh, We're gonna highlight a couple of things and there was this back and forth conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus where he challenged Nicodemus on some things and Jesus unapologetically spoke the truth. And Jesus spoke about being born again. And that word again in this chapter actually can be translated as being born from above. Some of your translations may actually say that, being born from above, and that is an appropriate translation of that word again. And in verse five, Jesus shares that one must be born of both the water and the spirit. Look at it with me. In verse five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Now it's very clear if you look at the Greek language that Jesus is referring to one birth here, not two. Now the next verse, Jesus does talk about two births. But in this verse, he's talking about one birth and he's talking about two aspects of one birth. First of all, he's talking about water and then he's talking about the spirit. Now, Jesus is a smart man. He's the creator of all. He knows everything. He knows Nicodemus is a very learned man, educated man, understand and knows the scriptures. And so with this understanding, Jesus is referring to the water. And when he's talking about the water, he is talking about spiritual cleansing. Now, this This should not be a surprise to Nicodemus having known the scriptures because Jesus is referring back to many direct passages in the Old Testament where water was used to symbolize spiritual cleansing and renewal. And then Jesus talks about the spirit. Again, should not be a surprise to Nicodemus because when he speaks of the Spirit, Jesus is referring to God's Spirit in the Old Testament that represents God's life or a new life or a new heart. 
See, God promised that he would pour out his spirit on his people like water. We see this in Isaiah 32, and the result of this outpouring would be a new heart or a new life for those whom the spirit came upon. And we see this in Ezekiel chapter 36. Jesus, again, was talking to Nicodemus, who was a master of the scriptures, very well educated. And Jesus was using those scriptures of the Old Testament to teach Nicodemus about what it means to have salvation and to be born again. And Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you need a spiritual cleansing. You can be smart and learned in the scripture and achieved everything you could possibly achieve, but you need a pure heart. You need a spiritual cleansing and you need a new heart. You need a new life. And then Jesus gets into verses 14 and 15 where he explains how this is possible. In verse 14 it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the sin of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now this is a reference to a very obscure passage in Numbers chapter 21. Now when we look at Numbers chapter 21, what we see and what we find is that the Israelites are in a really bad place, all right? The children of Israel are in the wilderness and this is some really bad days in the wilderness, right? Their grumblings were deafening. Nobody was getting along. They were worshiping false idols. There was frustration and agony galore. And to make matters worse, there were poisonous snakes all around. No lie, read it. And these poisonous snakes kept biting the Israelites. And many of them, according to the scripture, died. And they were desperate. And so the scripture says in Numbers 21 that Moses prayed. And when Moses prayed, God did something amazing. God spoke to Moses. And God said, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to take a pole. And I want you to craft and form a fashion the likeness of a snake. And I want you to wrap around that pole. And then I want you to lift that pole up with that snake on that pole. You lift it up. And when the people who are afflicted with the bites of the snakes and who are about to die, when they see that snake on that pole, they will be healed and they will in turn get a new life. Now, the symbol of a snake on a pole uh, is, is very prominent even today. Many believe that this is the origin of the medical symbol, the caduceus. The caduceus, you can see it on the screen behind me, uh, is, is, is if you go into a doctor's office, you may see a doctor have this on his lapel. Uh, this has been known for years as a symbol of purification, a symbol of healing, and a symbol of new life. But in this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, just like that snake, when people looked at it, they were healed as that was lifted up. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And of course, Jesus was talking about himself and he was talking about what he was about to endure on the cross when he was lifted up on the cross, when he paid the penalty of death that we, uh, because of our sins, and died a horrible death. And because of his sacrifice, we could have 
salvation in him and put our faith and trust in him. See, Nicodemus desperately needed salvation. He needed this spiritual cleansing. He needed this new heart. He needed to put his faith and trust in Jesus. But this was in stark contrast to what Nicodemus believed. This was in stark contrast to his upbringing and his education and his culture and his friends and his school of thought. Because Nicodemus thought he had arrived, that his ancestry, that his position, that his works was all that was needed for salvation. He thought honestly that he could do it on his own. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus that his past did not, does not define him. It didn't matter who he was, how educated he was, no matter how, he, how much he climbed uh, the culture of success, that past did not define him. And Jesus was giving him an opportunity and an invitation to have a new relationship, a relationship with Jesus. And I wanna ask you, the same can be true for you. You have a lot of life experiences that have brought you to this room today, a lot of them. And you may be thinking, um, man, I, I, don't know, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to do this. But you can have a new life in Jesus Christ. You can experience the, that new life as Nicodemus did. So the first lesson that we need to understand is that your past does not define you. you the, 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 the second lesson that you need to understand is that you need to embrace your line in the sand moments. We're woefully long, but we're going to go after it. We, we look in John chapter seven, fast forward a little bit to John chapter seven, verse 50 and 51. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So what happened was the Sanhedrin was meeting, right? The Sanhedrin had convened and they were at a place where they were saying, okay, it is time for us to condemn Jesus, and Nicodemus stood up in that moment and he said, wait, stop. You can't, are we gonna go against our normal practices? Are we not gonna allow this man to actually have a voice and to speak and to share his side? Are we not gonna give him a voice? And that was a line in the sand moment for Nicodemus. The social pressure on him must have been enormous. You know, I lived in San Antonio before I came here, and one of the things I loved is bringing people to San Antonio and taking them to the Alamo that was right in the middle of this beautiful modern city. Um, and at the Alamo, if you've gone to see it, you would see a picture that would look like this. And legend has it that William Travis, before the Battle of the Alamo, unsheathed his sword and drew a line in the sand, looked at his men and said, this is gonna be bad but will you choose your allegiance and will you choose that even if you choose to fight, you may lose your life. So if you are willing to lose your life, step across that line to my side and we're gonna fight together. This was Nicodemus's line in the sand. And if we're going to shatter and break free from our old selves, I'm gonna encourage us all to embrace our own line in the sand moments. And I say moments 
plural on purpose because I believe we can have many of them. What does it mean for you? Perhaps for you in your work, you're being asked to do some very unethical things. And it may be time for you to have your own line in the sand moment and say, no more, I'm done. Or maybe you're in a relationship that you know is not right, it's not good, it's not God honoring, and it's time for you to take a stand, step out of that relationship and say, I'm done. Or maybe it's you at a restaurant and you feel this nudge from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I need you to serve that person. Take care of their needs, talk to that waiter, tell that waiter about Jesus, share the gospel. And so many times we just kind of go away from those moments and we don't do what the Spirit prompts us. Maybe it's time for us to, in every single of those moments, have a line in the sand moment that says, I'm gonna break free from my own self. I'm gonna be allegiant to Jesus Christ. No matter what it costs me, I'm gonna stand for him like Nicodemus did. So the second lesson we can learn today is that we have to embrace our line in the sand moments. And the third and final is that we have to be generous with our gifts. Let's look at John 19, 39. It says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. It was, Je- it was Nicodemus who was the one who prepared Jesus's body. After the cross, so many people had scattered, but there was Nicodemus and he took his money. Some people say it's 75 pounds. Some other people, scholars say it's more like 65 pounds. It's all about the same, but what we know is true is a whole lot more than what was needed. And so Nicodemus spent his own money and took his time and served our Lord, our King Jesus in that moment. And for some of us, what we need just to break through from our, break free of our old self is we just need to say, okay, listen, I just gotta realize it's not about me. And I gotta be generous with my gifts. I gotta be generous with my resources. And I gotta serve him by serving others. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna have a response song. Um, and I wanna set this up as they come. Um, and as we look at Nicodemus's interactions with Jesus, uh, man, these lessons were not just for Nicodemus, but I feel like they were for us as well. That, that your past does not define you. That, that we are to embrace our line in the sand moments and that we are to be generous with our gifts. If you want, if you want to, break free from this old self, if you wanna get out of the doorway of the kingdom of heaven and begin to really experience all that the kingdom has to offer, then we may wanna take Nicodemus's lead. But you may be sitting here and may wonder, I don't know how to do any of that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, and, and I, wanna, I wanna give you an invitation this morning. I wanna give you an invitation to take the next step to a life of discipleship. See, there are men and women all throughout our church that have been discipled and have spent time understanding the scriptures, learning how to read the word, learning how to pray, learning how to apply it, learning how to take a stand for Jesus, learning how to share the gospel. 
and, and as you really want to set these lessons in your own life, you may wanna choose to enter into a discipling relationship. I'm told we have about 70 men and women in the wings that are ready to begin a discipling relationship with many of you. And so as we sing this song, make room for Jesus, make room for him, there's gonna be a number on the screen and I would just encourage you to text the word disciple to this number and we'll connect you. And you may say, I am done just hanging out in the lobby of the kingdom of heaven. And I wanna move forward, but I just don't know how.